I have always loved the time when, first thing in the morning, my waking dreams begin to merge with the sounds of ordinary reality. The dawn chorus in the garden, the clink of milk bottles on the doorstep, and if one is fortunate, the rattle of curtains on the landing telling of the approach of the maid with a cup of tea. So it came as quite a shock to my old friend Dolly Bantry when instead of these pleasant sounds she was rudely awakened by a frantic banging on her bedroom door. Oh, ma'am, ma'am, there's a body in the library! We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's The Body in the Library. Arthur! Huh? Arthur! Wake up! Huh? Uh. Wake up, Arthur! Did you hear what she said? Hmm? Oh, very likely. Oh. I can't agree with you. You've got to listen to me, Arthur. Mary came in and said there's a body in the library. She can't have. She did. You must have imagined I it. I didn't imagine it. You've been dreaming, Dolly. That's what it is. I was having a dream, but it was about the flower show and the vicar's wife was in a bathing dress. Well, <laughs> there you are, then. I did not dream about a body in the library, mm. Arthur. Mm. Get up at once and go downstairs and... Do something about it. it. It's in there, sir. I took one look at it. My legs gave way and my insides turned over. Nonsense, girl. You're just imagining things. See for yourself, then. Uh. Good Lord. Two, five, one. Is that you, Jane? Well, of course it is, Dolly. What's the matter? Jane. The most awful thing has happened. We've just found a body in the library. What sort of body? It's a blonde. A what? A blonde! A young girl. She's just lying there on the hearth rug. Dead. That's why you've got to come over here at once. I'm sending the car for you now. The library was a little like Colonel Bantry, large and shabby and untidy. But across the moth-eaten bearskin was sprawled the figure of a girl wearing a backless evening dress of white spangled satin. Her hair was unnaturally fair, her face heavily made up. She had slightly protruding teeth, and her fingernails were enameled a deep blood red, and so were the toenails in their cheap silver sandals. It was a tawdry, flamboyant, pathetic figure. She doesn't look real, does she? She's very young. Yes, I suppose she is. And dressed in this cheap finery. But what could she possibly have been doing in Arthur's library? The window's been forced. Perhaps she came down here with a burglar. Well, she's hardly dressed for a burglary. No, it's more as if she were dressed for dancing or for a party of some kind, but... There's nothing like that in St. Mary Mead. No, I suppose not. You're not thinking of... Well, I was just wondering. Basil Blake? Oh, no. I know his mother. 
All the same, there has been a lot of talk, and he does have parties. You mean the film people? Well, one does hear the most alarming stories, shouting and singing and everyone very drunk. Oh. Old Mrs. Berry told me she went in and found a young woman asleep on the sofa in her birthday suit. That'll be Colonel Melchett. Arthur insisted that this was a case for the chief constable of the county. He wouldn't talk to anyone else. Look here, Bantry, uh, I've, I've got to get this off my chest. Are you really telling me that you haven't the faintest idea who this girl is? Damn it all, Melchett. You can't possibly think... Yes, I, I know, old man, but uh, look at it like this. It could be damned awkward for you. Married man, fond of your wife and all that. But uh, just between ourselves, if you, if, you, if you were tied up with this girl at all, better say so now. Uh, quite natural to, to want to suppress the fact. I should feel the same myself. But I've never set eyes on a girl. I'm not that sort of chap. Well, if, if you say so. The question is, what was she doing in your library? How should I know? I didn't ask her, yeah? Oh, but she came here all the same. Looks as though she wanted to see you. You haven't had any odd letters or anything? No, I haven't. What were you doing yourself last night? Well, I went to a meeting of the Conservative Association. Nine o'clock at Much Benham. And you got home when? Well, I left Much Benham about ten. <laughs> had a bit of trouble on my way home. Had to change a wheel. I got back at a quarter to twelve. You didn't go into the library? No, I was tired. I went straight up to bed. Mm. You, you don't think any of the servants might have been involved in this business? It doesn't seem likely. They're a most respectable lot. We had them for years. Now, of course. It may not be a local affair at all. The girl could have come down from town, perhaps with uh, some fellow. Though, why they decided to break into your library... London. That's more like it. We don't have those kind of goings-on round here. <laughs> at least... Uh, uh, at least what? Upon my word. Basil Blake. And who's he? A perfectly poisonous young man connected with the film industry. Works at some place called Lemville Studios. He's taken that ghastly modernised cottage on the Lancham Road. Yes, he throws drunken parties and has girls down for the weekend. Uh, I couldn't help but noticing one of them. Platinum Blonde. Uh, platinum Blonde? I say, Melchett, you don't think... It's a distinct possibility. It would account for a girl like that being in St. Mary Mead. I think I might just run along and have a word with Mr. Blake. And what are you after? Collecting for something? Are you Mr. Basil Blake? Right first time. I should like to have a few words with you, if I may, Mr. Blake. Who are you? I'm Colonel Milchett, the Chief Constable of the County. You don't say. OK, let's have your few words, then. I understand, Mr. Blake, that last weekend you had a visitor, a fair-haired young lady. <laughs> have you been listening to those old cats down in the village? Does the chief constable of the county really have to come round to check up on my sex life? Your morals are no concern of mine. I've come here because the body of a fair-haired young woman of slightly exotic appearance has been found murdered. Murdered? Where? In the library at Gossington Hall. At old Bantry's? A dirty old man. I'll trouble you to keep a civil tongue in your head. Uh, can you throw any light on this business? You've come to ask me if I've Mr. Blonde. Is that it? If you want to put it like that. 
Well, it looks as if I've been saved in the nick of time. Why the hell did you run off like that? I told you it was time to go and you just went on dancing with that hairy gorilla. You were just jealous, that's all. Jealous? I couldn't stand the sight of a girl who can't hold a drink unless herself be poured all over by a filthy brute. And I refuse to be dictated to. I'll leave a party when I'm ready to leave it. <clears throat> Are you still here? About time you took yourself off, isn't it? Let me introduce you. Dinah Lee, Colonel Blimp of the County Police. How do you do, Miss Lee? And now, Colonel, that you've seen my blonde is alive and in good condition, perhaps you'll get on with the good work over old Bantry's bit on the side. Good morning. Any luck with the missing persons list, Inspector? Not a lot so far, Colonel. There's a Mrs. Saunders, dark-haired, around 36, but from what I can gather, she's probably gone off with a commercial traveller from Leeds. <laughs> Is that the best you can come up with? Then there's Pamela Reeves, 16, missing from home since last night. Had attended Girl Guide Rally. Dark brown hair with a pigtail, five foot five. Oh, for goodness sakes, Stack. This wasn't a school girl. What we're looking for is... A... Oh, excuse me, sir. Much better, mate, you one? Yes, speaking. Yes. Yes, uh, hang on, just a minute. Right, yes, go ahead. Ruby Keen, 18, occupation, professional... So, look, would you go a bit slower? Yeah, the, occupation, professional, dancer. That's better. Five feet, four inches, platinum blonde hair, Blue eyes, yes. Believed to be wearing diamante evening dress. What? Well, not a doubt of it, I'd say. Yes, get her to go down there as soon as you can. Oh, that sounds more like it. Who was she? Name of Ruby Keane. Reported missing from the Majestic Hotel Daymouth. Daymouth? Now, things are beginning to make sense. Yeah, they've got a woman who knew her well. They'll take her over to the mortuary to see if she can identify the girl and then bring her on here. A woman named Josie Turner. Yes, that was Ruby all right. Poor kid. I suppose you don't have a... Yeah, I'll get you a brandy, Miss Turner. Poor little Ruby. What swine men are. You believe it was a man? Wasn't it? I mean, I naturally thought... Any particular man you were thinking of? No. I haven't the least idea. And Ruby wouldn't have let on to me if... If what? If she'd been carrying on with some man. Here's your brandy, Miss Turner. Thanks. You're very kind. Pleasure. Right. What do you want me to tell you? Well, I'd like the girl's full name and address, her relationship to you, and all that you know about her. Her real name was Ruby Legg. Keen was her professional name. Her mother was my mother's cousin. I've known her all my life, but not particularly well, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I understand. Ruby was training as a dancer. She'd had a good engagement last year in Panto, and she'd been one of the dancing partners in a Palais de Dance in South London. It's a nice, respectable place, but there isn't much money in it. And that's where I came into it. I've been a bridge and dance hostess at the Majestic in Danemouth for three years now. It's a good job, well paid and pleasant. You try to get the right people together for bridge and all that, and get the young people dancing with each other. The kind of job that needs a good deal of tact and understanding, I imagine. Oh, it certainly helps. I also do a couple of exhibition dances every evening with Raymond Starr. He's the tennis and dancing pro. 
Well, as it happens, this summer I slipped on the rocks while I was bathing and gave my ankle a nasty turn. Yes, I noticed you had a slight limp. Naturally, that put a stop to the dancing for a bit. And as you can imagine, I didn't want someone else coming in to queer my pitch. So I thought of Ruby and suggested to the manager that I should get her down. And she was a success? People liked her? Oh, yes. Mind you, Ruby hadn't got much comeback. She was a bit dumb. She went down better with the older men. Had she got any special friends? Not in the way you mean. Or at any rate, not that I knew about. Will you tell us when you last saw your cousin? Last night. She and Raymond do two exhibition dances, one at 10.30 and another at midnight. They finished the first one, and after that I noticed her dancing with a young man who was staying at the hotel. Just after midnight, Raymond came up in a terrible state asking where she was. She hadn't turned up. I went to her room, but she wasn't there. I noticed that she changed. The dress that she'd been dancing in, a sort of pink foamy affair, was lying over a chair. So what did you do? I told Raymond I'd take over the exhibition dance with him. We chose one that was fairly easy on my ankle, but even so it was pretty badly swollen next morning. We sat up till about two o'clock waiting for her, but she didn't turn up. And this morning, when Ruby still hadn't come back and you saw that her bed hadn't been slept in, you went to the police? No, I certainly didn't. I've got my job to think of. The one thing a hotel doesn't want is a scandal. And anyway, I didn't think anything had happened to Ruby. I thought she'd just made a fool of herself with some young man. It was a Mr. Jefferson who sent for the police, I understand. Was he one of the guests staying at the hotel? Yes, he was. But what made Mr. Jefferson do that? He's an invalid. He gets het up very easily. Who was the young man dancing with your cousin when you last saw her? His name's Bartlett. He's been there about ten days. Uh-huh. Were they on very friendly terms? Not specially. Not that I knew, anyway. Did your cousin ever mention Gossington? Gossington? Gossington Hall. Never heard of it. Gossington Hall was where her body was found. Gossington Hall? How extraordinary. Do you know a Colonel or Mrs Bantry? Never heard of them. Or a Mr Basil Blake? Yes, that rings a bell. But I don't remember anything about him. Miss Turner, if it would not inconvenience you too much... I'd like you to come with me to Gossington Hall. Of course, by now, the news had spread like wildfire round St Mary Mead, and by the time it reached the vicarage, it was a naked blonde who had been found on the Colonel's hearthrug. Everyone was agreed that the Colonel must have been a very dark horse indeed. Mrs Price Ridley said that when she last went up to London, she had seen him at a taxi rank at Paddington, asking to be taken to an address in St John's Wood, and that she considered to be positive proof. Colonel Melchett's bringing that poor girl's cousin over here, Jane. Is he really? I suppose he wants her to see where it happened and all that. Oh, more than that, I expect. What do you mean, Jane? Well, I think perhaps he might want her to meet Colonel Bantry. To see if she recognises him? Yes, I suppose they're bound to suspect Arthur. I am afraid so. Uh, don't look at me like that, Jane. I know he's sometimes a bit silly about pretty girls who come here to play tennis, but he's just being rather fatuous and avuncular. There's no harm in it. And anyway, why shouldn't he? 
After all, I've got the garden. You mustn't worry, Dolly. They're here. I'd better go and tell Arthur. Ah, Mrs. Bantry, let me introduce Miss Turner, the cousin of the uh, victim. How do you do, Miss Turner? All this must be rather awful for you. Yes, it is. None of it seems to be real at all, like a bad dream. Oh, my dear, I do so understand. Uh, this is Miss Marple. How do you do? How do you do? You're a good man about Mrs. Bantry? Yes, he does. Hello, Marchett. You're back soon. Uh, Colonel Bantry, this is Miss Turner. Oh, how do you do, Miss Turner? Uh, care to see where it all happened? Oh, really, Arthur? The poor girl might not wish Oh, no. To... I think I'd like to see. Oh, well, this way, then. We found her in the library. She was there, on the hearthrug. I just can't understand it. Well, we certainly can't. It just isn't the sort of place where... That is what makes it so very interesting. You mean you have an explanation, Miss Marple? Oh, yes, I have an explanation. But, of course, it is only my own idea. Tommy Bond and Mrs. Martin, our new schoolmistress, she went to wind up the clock and a frog jumped out. Huh? <clears throat> it must have been very worrying for you, Miss Turner. When you realised your cousin had disappeared? I was more annoyed than worried. I didn't know then that anything had happened to her. And yet you went to the police? Oh, but I didn't. It was a guest at the hotel. Mr Jefferson. Jefferson? Yes. He's an invalid. Not Conway Jefferson? Mm-hmm. But we know him very well. He's an old friend of ours. So he's staying at the Majestic? He was there last year, too. Fancy. And we never knew... How is he nowadays? He's wonderful. Really, quite wonderful. And are the family there with him? Mr Gaskell, you mean? And Adelaide Jefferson and her son, Peter. Yes, they're all there. <laughs> they're nice people, aren't they? Mark Gaskell and Daddy. Oh, yes. Yes, they are. Yes, they are, really. What on earth did she mean by that? They are really... Do you think, Jane, there may be something... Oh, I do. Indeed, I do. Her manner changed at once when the Jeffersons were mentioned. But what do you think it can be? Well, my dear, you're the one who knows them. There is clearly something about the Jeffersons that is worrying that young woman. And it was interesting what she said about the girl being missing. She wasn't anxious. She was angry. And she looked angry. Really angry. The interesting point is, why? We'll find out why. We'll go to Danemouth and stay at the Majestic. Oh, but Dolly... Yes, Jane, you too. I need a change for my nerves after what has happened here. And you'll meet Conway Jefferson. He's a dear, absolute dear. Poor sir, it's the saddest story imaginable. Oh, well, he had a son and daughter, and he loved both of them very dearly. They were both married, but they managed to spend a lot of time with him. They were flying home together from France, he and his two children. There was an accident, and the son and the daughter were killed. Conway survived, but he had to have both legs amputated. How very terrible. Mm. He used to be such an active man, and now he's a helpless cripple. But he never complains. His daughter-in-law, Addie, lives with him, 
with her son by her first marriage. And Mark Gaskell, Rosamond's husband, is there most of the time, too. The whole thing was the most awful tragedy. Yes. And now there's another tragedy. Oh, but that's got nothing to do with the Jeffersons. Hasn't it? It was Mr. Jefferson who called the police in the first place. So he did. You know, Jane, that's really very curious. I'm sorry to disturb you, Mrs. Jefferson, but I'd rather like to have a word with your father-in-law. I'm from the police. Colonel Milchett. Oh, it's about poor Ruby, I suppose. Do sit down, Colonel. Thank you. My father-in-law is asleep. He's not strong at all, and this business has been a terrible shock to him. He was very fond of Ruby. The doctor's given him a sedative, but I know he will want to talk to you as soon as he wakes. In the meantime, perhaps I can be of help? It was Mr. Jefferson, I understand, who reported Ruby Keane's disappearance to the police. Yes, that is so. Being an invalid, he gets easily upset and worried. We tried to persuade him that there was nothing to be concerned about and that Ruby wouldn't want the police brought in. But he insisted and, well, he was right. Exactly how well did you know, Miss Keane? Well, it's hard to say. My father-in-law is very fond of young people and likes to have them round him. Ruby was a new type to him. He was amused and intrigued by her chatting away. Well, will you tell me what you can of the course of events last night? Well, I'll do my best, but I don't imagine there's much that will be of use to you. Ruby came and sat with us in the lounge after dinner. We had arranged to play bridge later, not with Ruby, of course. She wasn't good at that kind of thing. We were waiting for Mark Gaskell, my brother-in-law. He was married to Mr. Jefferson's daughter, but he had important letters to write. And for Josie. She was going to make a fourth with us. Uh, do you like Josie? Yes, I do. She's a first-class player. She's very human and shrewd. Though she's not exactly well-educated, she never pretends about anything. So what happened then? Well, Josie came along and Ruby went off to do her first dance with Raymond Starr. She came back to us just when Mark joined us. Then she went off to dance with a young man and we started to play bridge. And that's all I know. About midnight, Raymond came along to ask where Ruby had got to. Since there was no sign of her, Josie did the dance with Raymond and we tried to calm down my father-in-law. He went to bed very worried and insisted on telephoning the police first thing this morning. Thank you, Mrs. Jefferson. Now tell me... Do you have any idea who might have done this thing? No idea whatever. The girl never said anything uh, about some man she was afraid of or, or was intimate with? No, no, nothing. Although... Yes, Mrs. Jefferson? I did overhear Josie asking Raymond whether Ruby was with that film man. What film man? Well, she didn't say. That's all I heard. Do you happen to know the name of the young man Ruby Keane was dancing with? Yes. His name's George Bartlett. He's a very silly young man. Oh, no, I hardly knew her at all. Danced with her once or twice, bit of tennis, that sort of thing. You were, I believe, the last person to see her alive last night. I suppose I must have been. Doesn't it sound awful? I mean, she was perfectly well when I last saw her. Absolutely. You danced with her? Well, not that I'm much of a dancer. How you dance is not really relevant, Mr. Bartlett. No, I suppose it isn't. 
well, we, we danced a bit, round and round, you know, and I talked, but she didn't say much and yawned a bit. And then she said she had a headache. I know where I get off, so I said, right-o, and that was it. She went off upstairs. She said nothing about meeting anyone or going out for a drive? Not to me. Just gave me the push. And what did you do? Let me see now. What did I do? Jolly difficult remembering things sometimes. Shouldn't be surprised if I went into the bar and had a drink. And did you? I did, but I don't think it was just then. I strolled about a bit, and then I went in and had a drink. And then I went back to the ballroom. Uh, what's the name? Um, Josie was dancing with the tennis fella. That would be at midnight. So you're telling me that you spent an hour wandering about outside? Yes. I was thinking of things. What were you thinking about? Oh, I don't know. Things? Do you have a car, Mr. Bartlett? Oh, yes, I've got a car. And where was it? In the hotel garage? No, it was in the courtyard. I thought I might go for a spin, you see. Well, perhaps you did. Oh, no, I didn't. Uh, swear I didn't. You didn't take Ruby Keen out for a spin? Oh, I say, what are you getting at? I didn't. Swear I didn't. Thank you, Mr. Bartlett. I think that'll be all for the present. Excuse me. Would you be Colonel Melchett? Yes, that's correct. The name's Gaskell. Conway Jefferson is my father-in-law. He's awake now and asking to see you. No, thank you, Mr. Gaskell. Keep him calm, if you can. His health's not good. It's a wonder, really, that the shock didn't finish him off. Yes, well, murder isn't good for the system, I agree. I'll be as careful as I can. Just how much has my family told you of my interest in Ruby, Colonel? Uh, Mrs. Jefferson has told me very little, beyond the fact that she was a kind of um, protégé. I've barely exchanged half a dozen words with Mr. Gaskell. Addie's <laughs> a discreet creature, bless her. Mark would probably have been more outspoken. I think I should explain things to you. As you probably know, eight years ago I lost my son and daughter in a plane crash. My son-in-law and daughter-in-law, Mark and Addie, have been very good to me, but... I have come to realize that they have their own lives to lead. Uh, I understand. I'm a lonely man, and I like young people. Uh, once or twice I've played with the notion of adopting someone. During the last few weeks I got very friendly with the girl who's been killed. She was absolutely natural. <laughs> not a lady, perhaps, but not vulgar either. As the days went by, I got more fond of Ruby... I decided that I would adopt her, legally. She would become, by law, my daughter. And may I ask what your son-in-law and daughter-in-law had to say about that? Well, what could they say? I probably didn't like it very much, but it's not as if they were dependent on me. I settled a big sum of money on my son when he married, and I did the same with my daughter. After the plane crash, that money passed on to their respective spouses. They've got nothing to complain about. Mm, I suppose not. You don't seem any too sure, Colonel. In my experience, Mr. Jefferson, families don't always behave reasonably. But let's get this straight. You proposed to make full provision for Ruby Keen, to settle money on her. But you hadn't already done so. Yes, that is correct. The necessary formalities for legal adoption were underway, but hadn't been completed. So, if anything happened to you... Uh, I provided for that. I made a new will a few days ago. I left a sum of £50,000 to be held in trust for Ruby until she was 24. 
Well, she would come into the principal. Fifty thousand pounds? And you were leaving it to a girl you'd only known for a few weeks? Well, why not? It's my money. I made it. I might have left it to the cat's home. Instead, I decided to turn Cinderella into a princess. Are there any other bequests? A small amount to Edwards, my valet, and the remainder to Mark and Daddy in equal shares. And would that be a large sum? Probably not. After death duties and expenses had been paid, it would probably amount to something between five and ten thousand pounds. Mm -hmm. I see. And now, there are a few questions I'd like to put to you, Colonel, if I may. I understand that poor Ruby was found strangled in a house some 20 miles from here. No, that is correct. At Gossington Hall. Gossington. But that's the Bantry's house. I know them very well. How do they come to be mixed up in this? Well, Ruby couldn't possibly have known them. Her only friends were theatrical people. Well, what's Bantry got to say about it? Well, he can't account for it in the least. He says he's never seen a girl in his life. Seems utterly fantastic. Have you any idea at all who might have done this thing? Good God, I wish I had. Uh, there was no friend of hers from her past life, no, no, no man hanging about or, or threatening her? I'm sure there wasn't. She never had a regular boyfriend. She told me so herself. Well, thank you, Mr. Jefferson. I think that'll be enough for the present. Uh, you'll keep me informed of your progress, Colonel. Oh, yes. We'll keep in touch with you. Good afternoon, Mr. Jefferson. Good afternoon, Colonel Melchett. Edwards, I want you to get in touch with Sir Henry Clithering. He's at Melbourne Abbas. Ask him if he can get over here today. Tell him it's urgent. I say, I say, Colonel, could I have a word? Uh, what is it, Mr. Bartlett? Well, it probably isn't important, but I thought I ought to tell you. I can't find my car. Uh, are you telling me it's been stolen? Well, that's just it, don't you see? I mean, one can't tell, can one? I mean, someone may just have buzzed off in it, not meaning any harm. When did you last see it? Well, I was, I was trying to remember. I thought you said it was in the courtyard of the hotel last night. But that's just it. Was it? Well, I didn't go and look, you see. Uh, let's get this quite clear. When was the last time you saw, actually saw, your car? I had it before lunch yesterday, I'm sure of that. I was going for a spin in the afternoon, but somehow, you know how it is, I went to sleep. So the last time you saw it was yesterday morning? Yes. Well, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I'll get one of my men to take a statement from you. And if you do, by any miracle, remember when you last saw it, I shall be at the police station in Muchbenham. So, it looks as if we've got a motive for what it's worth. Fifty thousand pounds. Oh, well, murder has been done for a good deal less. Uh, but even so... You mean that if Mr Gaskell and Mrs Jefferson already have a pretty reasonable income, they're not likely to risk a brutal murder? Well, their financial standing will have to be investigated, of course. I can't say I like the look of the Gaskell chap. A bit, of, a bit on the unscrupulous side, I imagine. Mm. But that's a long way from making him a murderer. From what Josie Turner said, I don't see how it could have been possible anyway for either Gaskell or Mrs Jefferson to have done it. They were both playing bridge from 20 minutes to 11 until midnight, by which time, according to the medical evidence, Ruby Keane was dead. 
No. If you ask me, we shall be looking in another direction entirely. Uh, a boyfriend, you mean? It seems the only explanation. Someone she knew before she came here, who got to hear about Jefferson adopting her, and killed her in a fit of jealous rage. But who on earth is this chap? I mean, supposing he exists. Did you have a look in the girl's room? Yes, sir. A very pokey little place, but ideal for leaving the hotel without being noticed. There's a staircase at the end of the corridor that leads down to the terrace at the side of the hotel. At that time of night, nobody would notice anyone coming or going. Oh, yes, but uh, did you find anything in the girl's room that might give any indication of a boyfriend? Yes, as a matter of fact, I did. Not much to go on, but it might just lead somewhere. There were some letters from a girl called Lil, who was at the Palais de Danse, where Ruby used to work. Yes, I made a few notes. Um, now then, here we are. Yes. Mr. Finderson asks after you ever so often. Quite put out, he is. Young Reg has taken up with May, now you're gone. Barry asks after you now and then. I think I ought to go and have a word with this Lil, whoever she is. Yes, it might lead somewhere. Anything else? Well, not really. The whole room was a regular tip. Clothes lying all over the place. A pink dance rock thrown over the chair. Silk stockings rolled into a ball. The dead girl had bare feet. Yes, she only wore stockings for dancing. She used makeup on her legs for the rest of the time to save money. There was nothing else worth mentioning. Nail parings and cotton wool stained with rouge and nail polish in the waste paper basket. Mm -hmm. Nothing for us there. But what I can't understand is... Oh, excuse me, sir. Much better, mate. Two, one. Slack speaking. Yes. What? Where? When was this? Well, why didn't anyone tell us about this before? Yes, 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 I know. You'd better get someone out there straight away. Oh. What was all that about? They found a burnt-out car at Venn's Quarry, about a couple of miles from here. There are traces of a charred body inside. When did this happen? Sometime last night. A farm labourer said he saw a glow in the sky, thought somebody was having a bonfire. What kind of car was it? The same make of car as that Bartlett chap reported stolen from the Majestic. Does this mean, sir, we've got two murders on our hands? It really is the most astonishing story. I'm sorry to have to drag you down all this way to listen to it, Sir Henry. I'm always happy to oblige an old friend. You know that, Conrad. Uh, but tell me, how on earth did the Bantries get involved in all this? They happen to be very old friends of mine. Uh, Dolly's staying here, I believe. Yes, she came to see me this morning. They're old friends of mine, too. I suppose that wasn't why their house was chosen. As a way of hitting at you, it seems a bit far-fetched. But look, what exactly do you want me to do about it? Well, I'm an invalid. I can't get about as I'd wish, asking questions, looking into things. And I can't sit here just waiting for Colonel Melcher to dole out such scraps of information as he thinks he should reveal. Do you mean you want me to be some kind of amateur sleuth? Well, I wouldn't have thought that a former commissioner of Scotland Yard could be described as an amateur. <laughs> and I'm sure that any help you could give to Melchard would be gratefully accepted. I'm not so sure about that. 
and I'm not sure that this is really quite my line. I could tell you who would make a far better job of finding your murderer than I ever would. And who's that? You could see her from here. She's sitting down there on the terrace with her knitting. You don't mean that fluffy old dear with the dreadful hat? There's nothing in the least fluffy about Miss Marple. She's got a mind that's as sharp as a knife and she misses nothing. She's plumbed the depths of human iniquity and takes it all in a day's work. You're joking, of course. Oh, no, I'm not. She can run rings round Melchett any day. I think I might just have a little word with her. Oh, it is wonderful to see you again, Sir Henry. But what a sad story. Poor Mr. Jefferson. To live on crippled and helpless after his children are killed. And now to have to suffer this. Yes, my dear. The death of this wretched girl really has come as a terrible shock to him. She may, of course, have had some remarkable qualities. I doubt it. I doubt whether her qualities entered into it. Oh, come now. He isn't just a dirty old man. Oh, no, I wasn't implying that for a second. What I was trying to say was that he was looking for some girl to take the place of his dead daughter. And Ruby Keane saw her opportunity and played it for all she was worth. I've seen so many cases of the kind. I rather imagine you have. The young maidservant at Mr. Harbottle's, for instance. A very ordinary girl, quiet, with nice manners. His sister was called away to nurse a dying relative. And when she came back, she found the girl completely above herself, sitting down in the dining room and talking, and not wearing her cap or apron. She protested to Mr. Harbottle about the girl's behaviour, and he told her that she'd kept house long enough and it was time she made other arrangements. She had to go and live in uncomfortable rooms in Eastbourne. If only Conway could have found a girl in his own class. A friend's child, perhaps. Oh, that wouldn't have been nearly so satisfactory. It's like King Cofetua and the beggar maid. If you are a lonely, rich old man, it is more interesting to befriend someone who will be dazzled by your magnificence. Just like Mr. Badger. Mr. Badger? He had the chemist shop in St. Mary Mead. Made a lot of fuss over a young lady who worked in the toiletry section. He even bought her a diamond bracelet. Told his wife they must both look on her as a daughter and have her live in the house. What did the poor woman do? Oh, she took the trouble to find out a few things. And when she told Mr. Badger that the girl was carrying on with a very undesirable young man connected with the race course and had actually pawned the bracelet to give him money that was the end of it he gave Mrs. Badger a diamond ring the following Christmas can you think of any reason why Conway Jefferson should have developed this cofetua complex? I should think that perhaps his son-in-law or daughter-in-law might have wanted to get married again surely he couldn't have objected to that oh no, not objected but I'm sure... He was beginning to feel neglected. I still don't see what any of this has got to do with the pantries. How's Dolly taking it? Waiting for me to produce the rabbit out of the hat, I'm afraid. But it seems to me that there's a possibility that this might be the kind of crime that never gets solved. And if that happens, it will be absolutely disastrous for Colonel Bantry. 
That is why we have to find out the truth, Sir Henry. <laughs> Dolly's coming now. And Jefferson's daughter-in-law with her. Henry! How do you do, Mrs. B? I can't tell you how distressed I am about this dreadful business. Don't call me Mrs. B, Henry. It sounds so middle class. Do you know Mrs. Jefferson? Of course. How are you, Adelaide? Oh, I'm all right, I suppose. It's Conway I'm worried about. We were on our way to have a drink with my brother-in-law, Mark Gaskell. Why don't you and Miss Markle come and join us? The girl was just a common or garden gold digger. And she knew her stuff. She'd got her hooks into old Jeff, all right. Couldn't you do anything about her? Well, we might have, if we'd realised it in time. Mark thinks I ought to have seen what was coming. You left the old boy alone too much, Addie. Going off to have tennis lessons and all that? Well, I had to have some exercise, and I never dreamed... Gentlemen are frequently not as level-headed as they seem. I'm sure you're right. Unfortunately, Miss Marple, we didn't realise that. We wondered what the old boy saw in that rather insipid and meretricious little bag of tricks. We thought there was no harm in her. No harm in her. Wish I'd wrung her neck. Mark, you really All must... right, Addie, but I like to speak my mind. £50,000 our esteemed father-in-law was proposing to settle upon that half-baked little slypus. Why couldn't he have left it all to Peter? Peter? Who is Peter? He's my son. My son by my first husband. Strange, isn't it? I always think of him as Mr Jefferson's grandson. Mm, so do I. Well, well, well. See who's over there on the terrace? What? Oh. What a sly little woman you are, Addie. Uh, do excuse me for a moment. I, I really must go and say hello. Isn't that Hugo McLean? Right first time. And who exactly is Hugo McLean? Addie's faithful swain, Sir Henry. She's only got to whistle and Hugo comes trotting from any odd corner of the globe. Oh, a romance. One of the good old-fashioned kind, Jane. She's been going on for years. He hopes that someday she'll marry him. I dare say she will. But I'd better go and take a look at old Jeff. <sighs> doesn't do to leave him on his own for too long in case some other little minx gets her claws into him. So long. Well, Miss Marvel, what do you think of the principal beneficiaries of the crime? Mark Gaskell is a rather downy fellow, I think. A downy fellow? What on earth do you mean by that? Just like Mr. Cargill the Builder. He bluffed a lot of people into having things done to their houses that they never really wanted. He charged them heavily for it, too. And Mrs. Jefferson? She's the kind of woman that everyone likes. I can imagine she could go on getting married again and again. A very devoted mother, too, I should oh, think. She positively dotes on little Peter. Which reminds me, thank goodness you're here, Sir Henry. Peter rather fancies himself as a detective. He gave this to me. He thought it was an important clue. Here. A matchbox. Look inside it. A fingernail. Not just any fingernail. It was Ruby Keane's. How did Peter come by it? Apparently, she got it caught in her shawl and Mrs. Jefferson cut it off for her. She told Peter to put it in the waste paper basket, but he kept it. Isn't it disgusting? But if I tell him I've given it to the former commissioner of Scotland Yard, he'll think he's well on the way to solving the murder. <laughs> but here's Josie. Josie? The dead girl's cousin. How are you, Miss Turner? 
This is an old friend of mine, Sir Henry Clithering. How do you do, Miss Turner? How do you do, Sir Henry? It's so awful, and it's not even in the papers yet. I suppose the moment it is, everyone will come down here and start asking questions. I don't know what I should do. Yes, it will be very difficult for you, I'm afraid. You see, the manager told me not to talk to anyone about it. He wants everything to be business as usual. But you can't very well offend people, can you, if they start asking questions? Do you mind me asking you a question, Miss Turner? Ask me anything you like. Has there been any unpleasantness between you and Mrs. Jefferson and Mr. Gaskell over this? Over the murder, you mean? No, I don't mean the murder. Well, neither of them actually said anything, but I think they thought it was my fault. Mr. Jefferson taking such a fancy to Ruby, I mean. I never dreamed such a thing would happen. But once it had happened... Well, it was a piece of luck for Ruby, wasn't it? Everybody's got to have a piece of luck sometime. But I must be off. There are five bridge tables to see to tonight. Quite a forceful girl in her way, isn't she? Look here, Mrs. B. You really don't want me to go on carrying this beastly bit of fingernail about with me, do you? Oh, just a moment, Sir Henry. I should like to see that. Thank you. It has been worrying me, you know, how to account for her nails. I don't quite follow you. The dead girl's fingernails were cut quite short, which seemed rather strange. A girl like that usually has absolute talons. But, of course, if one got torn off, she might cut the others close to match. Did they find nail pairings in her room, I wonder? I don't know. I'll have a word with Inspector Slack when he gets back. Gets back? He hasn't gone over to Gossington to worry poor Arthur again, has he? No, he went off to investigate a burnt-out car they found in a quarry. Was there someone in the car? I'm afraid so, yes. I expect that will be the girl guide who's missing, Pamela Reeves. What on earth makes you think that? Well, it was given out on the wireless that she was missing from her home last night, and she lived at Danley Vale. That's not very far from here. She was last seen at the Girl Guide Rally on Danbury Downs. That is very close indeed. In fact, she'd have had to pass through Danemouth to get home. I mean, it looks as though she might have seen or perhaps heard something she was not meant to see or hear. If so, she would be a source of danger to the murderer and have to be removed. The two things might be connected, don't you think? A second murder? Why not? When someone has committed one murder, they don't shrink from another, do they? Nor even from a third. You don't think there'll be a third murder, surely? I think it's just possible. Highly probable, in fact. You frighten me, Miss Marple. And do you know who is going to be murdered? Oh, yes. I have a very good idea. I rather like your friend, Dolly. Jane Marple? Mm. Oh, she's a very remarkable woman. People call her a bit of a scandalmonger, but she isn't really. Just a low opinion of human nature. <laughs> I suppose you could call it that, Addie. It's rather refreshing after hearing someone totally unworthy praised to the skies all the time. You mean Ruby Keane? Oh, I shouldn't really speak ill of the dead. There wasn't any harm in her. Poor little rat. She had to fight for what she wanted. She was common and rather silly and quite good-natured, but a decided gold digger. 
I don't think she planned it at all. She just saw her opportunity and made the most of it. And she knew just how to appeal to an elderly man who was lonely. I suppose Conway was lonely. Mm. He was this summer. Mark says it was all my fault. But you see, I found it so difficult to go on being Mr. Jefferson's dutiful, honorary daughter all the time and having to conceal quite so much from him. Conceal what? I don't know what you mean. When I married Frank, Mr. Jefferson settled a large sum of money on him, said he wanted his children to be independent and not have to wait for his death. But it was too much too easily. He really ought to have accustomed Frank to his independence little by little. You mean that the money went to his head? Well, he thought he was as good a man as his father, as clever about money and business. Uh. And, of course, he wasn't. He didn't exactly speculate with the money, but he invested in the wrong things at the wrong time. And the more he lost, the more eager he was to get it back by some clever deal. So things just went from bad to worse. Surely Conway could have advised him. Well, he wouldn't be advised. He wanted to be a success on his own account. He wouldn't let Mr. Jefferson know how much he was losing. When Frank died, there was very little left, only a tiny income for me. But I couldn't tell his father that. It would have been betraying Frank. Mr. Jefferson has always assumed that I'm a very wealthy widow, and I've never undeceived him. It's been a point of honour. And, of course, Peter and I have lived with him practically all the time since Frank's death, and he's paid all our living expenses. So I never had to worry. As far as he's concerned, I'm not Frank's widow. I'm still Frank's wife. Yes, I can see that must have been very trying. Suddenly, this summer, I felt rebellious. It's an awful thing to say, but I didn't want to go on thinking of Frank. I wanted to wipe the slate clean and start again. I, I wanted to be me. I'm still young, and I want to be able to enjoy myself. And where does Hugo McLean fit into all this? Oh, <laughs> Hugo's a dear. He's wanted to marry me for ages, but until this summer I never really thought about it. Well, not seriously. And I suppose Mark's right. I did neglect Jeff. And when Ruby turned up and gave him something new to think about, I was rather glad. It left me free to do what I wanted. Of course, I never dreamed he would be so infatuated with her. And what happened when you found out? Well, I was absolutely dumbfounded and very angry. Yes, I think I might have been angry, too. Well, there was Peter, too, you yes. see. My son's whole future depends on Jeff. Although he's no relation at all, he was practically Jeff's grandson. And to think that because of that vulgar, gold-digging little simpleton, he was going to be practically disinherited. Oh, I could have killed her. You should have heard her, Jane. I was really quite horrified. Yes, I can well imagine. It must have come as a terrible shock to her when she heard that Mr. Jefferson was proposing to adopt little Ruby legally. You don't suppose that it was all some kind of family plot? that Josie saw that Mr. Jefferson was feeling left out in the cold and got Ruby down here deliberately? No, I don't think so at all. Josie doesn't have the kind of mind that can foresee people's reactions. <sighs> She's rather dense in that way. She has one of those shrewd, limited, practical minds that never do foresee the future and are always astonished by it. I can't help feeling there must have been somebody else in Ruby's life. I've been talking to all the chambermaids, but it isn't any good. I can't find out a thing. 
don't you think that girl can really have been carrying on with someone without everybody in the hotel knowing about it? I should say definitely not. Somebody knows, depend upon it, if it's true. But she must have been very clever about it. <sighs> we don't seem to be getting on at all. I thought you'd know at once. Oh, I do wish we'd get a move on and solve the whole wretched thing. I am doing my best, Dolly. Well, you can't imagine the rumours that are flying around about poor Arthur. Not just in St Mary Mead, but all over the county. They're saying that the girl was Arthur's mistress, that she was his illegitimate daughter, that she was blackmailing him. They're saying anything that comes into their heads. I won't have the dear old boy go through hell for something he didn't do. That's the only reason I came to Danemouth and left him at home, to find out the truth. I know, dear. That is also why I am here. Mind if I have a word with you, Sir Henry? Not at all, Mark. Take a seat. Thank you. You see, it's just dawned on me that I'm probably suspect number one with the police. They've been delving into my financial troubles. I'm broke, you know. Well, very nearly so. If dear old Jeff dies according to schedule in a month or so, all will be well. You've always been a bit of a gambler. Risk everything. That's my motto. So, you see, it's quite a lucky thing for me that somebody strangled that poor kid. Don't get me wrong, I didn't do it. I don't really think I could murder anybody. I'm far too easygoing. But I can hardly expect the police to believe that. I must look like the answer to a criminal investigator's prayer. I had a motive. I was on the spot. I can't understand why I'm not in the jug already. You do happen to have that useful little thing, an alibi. Yes, but it all depends on the time of death. What happens if they call in another doctor who says that little Ruby was killed at five in the morning? Where's my alibi then? At any rate, you're able to joke about it. Damn bad taste, isn't it? You mustn't think I'm not sorry for old Jeff. But look at it this way. Think how much worse it would have been if he'd found her out. What do you mean by that? Where did Ruby go off to? I'll lay you any odds you like that she went to meet a man. Jeff wouldn't have liked that. If he'd found out that she was deceiving him, that she wasn't the little innocent she pretended to be, it might well have finished the old boy off. Wouldn't take much to do it, after all. Are you fond of him or not? I'm very fond of him. And at the same time, I resent him. He's kind and generous, but everybody has to dance to his tune. I loved Rosamond, but she's been dead a long time now. And I'm a man, after all. And look at poor Addie. Give her half the chance and she'd marry again. And Jeff doesn't realise it, but he's locked us in a prison. I broke out on the quiet a long time ago. Addie broke out this summer and it gave him a shock. Result? Ruby Keane. But as old Wordsworth put it, she is in her grave. And, oh, the difference to me. There doesn't seem to be much doubt that the body in the car was Pamela Reeves, Colonel. Oh, they can't have had much to go on, surely. In part of one foot and a shoe. Yeah, the shoe was one of those black-strapped affairs. Her father has positively identified it as Pamela's. And there was a button from her girl guide uniform. And you're satisfied that the fire was started deliberately? Well, there were three empty cans of petrol in the hedge. 
I think we can be fairly certain that the poor kid was dead before the car was set on fire. The way the child remains were lying, thrown across the seat, shows that. Probably drugged or knocked on the head. The point for us to settle is whether the two murders are connected. I'd say definitely yes. Mm. So would I. Pamela Reeves attended a Girl Guide rally on Danebury Downs. Her companions say that she was perfectly normal and cheerful. She didn't catch the bus back with them. She said she was going into Danemouth to buy something at Woolworths, and she'd catch the bus home from there. Her parents reckon she'd probably have taken a shortcut across the fields and down a lane which would have brought her out by the side of the Majestic Hotel. And that's probably what sealed her fate. She must have come across something concerning Ruby Keane. Uh, perhaps she overheard the murderer arranging to meet Ruby that evening. He suddenly noticed that Pamela was there, realised that he had to silence her. Of course, that's assuming that the murder was premeditated and not spontaneous. I believe that's the way it was, Colonel. I don't see otherwise how you can account for the death of the Reeves child. And besides, there was the car. It was George Bartlett's. <sighs> George Bartlett. What do you think, Slack? Well, he was the last person seen with Ruby Keane. Had they made a date to go out together earlier, discussed it, say, before the dinner, and did Pamela Reeves happen to overhear? He didn't report the loss of the car until the following morning, and he was extremely vague about it. Well, that might be cleverness, sir. As I see it, he's either a very clever gentleman pretending to be a silly ass, or else, well... He's just a silly ass. But where's the motive, Slack? As things stand, he'd no reason whatever to murder Ruby Keane. You're right there, sir. And there's no shortage of motive elsewhere. Oh, what exactly do you mean by that? Mr Conway Jefferson may think that Mr Gaskell and Adelaide Jefferson are comfortably off, but that is not the case. Apparently they're both extremely hard up. Is that so? It seems that Mrs. Jefferson's husband fancied himself as a good judge of investments. He wasn't, and his holdings have gone steadily down since his death. I should say that if she weren't living with her father-in-law, she'd find it very hard to make ends meet. And his health is such that he isn't expected to live long. Well, it's a miracle the shock of Ruby Keane's murder didn't finish him off. And what about Mark Gaskell? I can't say I like the look of him very much. Well, as you say, sir, he's a gambler, pure and simple. He's got himself into a bit of mess and needs more money rather badly at the moment. A good deal of it. Getting that girl out of the way would have meant 25,000. But he has a sound alibi. That's right. And so is Mrs Jefferson. They were both playing bridge from the time Ruby went off to dance with young Bartlett until well after midnight. And the doctor's absolutely certain the girl couldn't have been killed after midnight? He's quite adamant about it, Colonel. Am I to understand that washes out the other fellow? The film chappy who lives near Gossington Hall? Basil Blake? It's a pity about Blake. He fits the bill very well. Dined at the Majestic quite often, danced with Ruby Keane. Josie Turner thought he was quite fond of her, apparently. But he was at a party at the studios that night. Didn't leave until about half past twelve. Anyone bear out his statement? Yes, several other people who were at the party, sir. Though they were probably a bit far gone by then. And what distance are the studios? About 35 miles. Well, then it doesn't look as if we've got much to go on there. So, where does that leave us, Slack? Precisely nowhere, I'm afraid, Colonel. 
So, have you had any luck, Sir Henry? I had a quiet word with Jefferson's valet, Edwards. He's of the opinion that Ruby Keane didn't care tuppence, as he put it, for poor old Conway. And he certainly thought there was another man in her life. He said that one day a snapshot fell out of Ruby's handbag. Conway pounced on it immediately and wanted to know who it was. She was quite frightened at first, but then she just giggled and said it was some silly young idiot she had danced with once and that he must have stuffed it into her bag without her noticing. And did the valet manage to get a good look at the photograph? A dark young man with rather untidy hair, he said. No one he recognised. Excuse me, Sir Henry. Ladies. Hello, Slack. Uh, what can we do for you? I rather wanted to have a word with Miss Marples. Of course, of course. Uh, would you like Mrs. Banchet? Oh, no, 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 sir, no. Why did you take a seat, Stack? All right. Thank you, sir. What can I do for you, Inspector? Well, it's about the girl guides. I think it's possible that they may know something. It seems to me that if Pamela Reeves was really going to Woolworths, she would probably have tried to persuade one of the other girls to go with her. Girls usually like to shop with someone. How very observant of you, Inspector. Oh. <laughs> but I have a suspicion that Woolworths was only an excuse. Oh. She might have been intending to go somewhere else and may have let slip something. It's certainly worth following up. We've rounded up a few of the girls who were specially friendly with Pamela, but if it's left to me, I know very well that they'll just clam up. I thought perhaps if Miss Marple were to have a word with them, she might get a bit further. I dare say she knows a lot more about girls than I do. Oh, you certainly do, don't you, Jane? What with the Sunday school and the brownies and training young girls from the orphanage? Well, I do have quite a lot of experience as to when a girl is speaking the truth and when she is holding something back. I'd certainly be willing to help you, Inspector. Oh, thank you, Ma'am. I'm very grateful. And as to the other little matter Sir Henry said you were inquiring about... Oh, yes, the nail clippings. Were there any? Oh, yes, there were, Miss Marple. In Ruby Keane's wastebasket. <laughs> Why did you want to know? It was one of the things that seemed wrong when I looked at the body. Girls who are very much made up usually have long fingernails. And then, when young Peter Carmody said she'd caught one of her nails in her shawl and someone had to cut it off... It seemed possible that she could have trimmed the others to make an even appearance. You said just now, one of the things that seemed wrong with the body. Was there something else? Oh, yes. The dress. The dress was all wrong. But what was wrong with it, Miss Marple? Well, it was an old dress, shabby and rather worn. If Ruby Keane had changed her dress to go out on the sly with a boyfriend, she would have worn her best dress, girls do. But suppose she was going outside to the rendezvous, in an open car, perhaps. She wouldn't want to risk messing up a new frog. I'm afraid you don't understand that kind of girl, Sir Henry. Exactly. A well-bred girl is always careful to wear the right clothes for the right occasion. Ruby wasn't, well, to put it bluntly, Ruby wasn't a lady. She belonged to a class that wears its best clothes, however unsuitable the occasion. She would have kept on the dress she'd been wearing, the foamy pink one. Then what's your explanation, Miss Marble? I haven't got one yet, but I can't help feeling it is important. Ah. Well, if it's all right with you, I'll call you in a couple of hours' time and run you over to the police station. That should give me time to get together the girls who knew Ruby.
There were five girls waiting for me at the police station, ranging from county to farmers and shopkeepers' daughters. I listened while Inspector Slack questioned them one after another, and they all told the same story, that Pamela Reeves had said nothing to them except that she was going to Woolworths. Well, Miss Marple? I should like to speak to Florence Small, please, and I should like to be alone with her. Of course, Miss Marple. You understand, don't you, Florence, that it is important that everything that Pamela did on the day of her death should be known. I understand. And I'm sure you want to do your best to help. Yes, ma'am. You're afraid, aren't you, that you might be blamed for not having spoken sooner and for not stopping Pamela at the time? No, I'm not... Now, I don't... don't lie to me, Florence. Pamela didn't go to Woolworths, did she? But she something to do with the films, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, it was. I thought so. Now I want all the details, please, Florence. I've been so worried, and I promised Pam I'd never say a word to a soul. And what did she tell you? It was as we were walking up the lane to the bus, on the way to the rally. She asked if I could keep a secret, and I said yes. Well? She said she was going into Danemouth after the rally. She'd been approached by a film producer. He just walked up to her in the street and said she had exactly the face he'd been looking for. It was to play the part of a schoolgirl who changes places with a review artist. Oh. But he warned her not to build on it. He said he couldn't tell until she'd done a film test, with makeup on and all that. Did he say anything about her telling her parents? Oh, yes. She wasn't to say a word until he was certain that she could do the part, until the company had seen the film test. There was no point in getting them all worked up. <laughs> He said she mustn't be disappointed if it failed, but things like this really did happen, like Vivian Lee getting the lead in Gone with the Wind. He'd been working over in Hollywood and had come over to England to make a film at the Lenville Studios. Oh, yes. I think I've heard of them. It was arranged that Pam should go into Danemouth after the rally to meet him at his hotel. He said they had a small studio in the town and that when the test was over she could catch the bus home and say she'd been shopping. Oh. She got through the rally without turning her hair, but as she set off down the footpath, she gave me a wink. I ought to have stopped her, I suppose. I ought to have known a thing like that couldn't be true. What put you on to that particular girl, Miss Marble? You probably haven't had as much experience of girls telling lies as I have, Colonel. I watched her as she went out of the door after she'd been questioned by the inspector. I knew then that she had something to hide. Lemville Studios, eh? Uh, I knew that nasty little whippersnapper, Blake, was mixed up in this. Mm -hmm. And now I'm afraid I must hurry away. Uh, are you going back to the hotel? Yes, but only to pack. I must return to St Mary Mead as soon as possible. There is a great deal for me to do there. As soon as I got back, I made straight for the vicarage. I wanted to find out if there was anything that would enable me to make a little round of the village with a collection book. As it happened, there was no shortage of good causes. The Knave Restoration Fund, the Unmarried Mothers, the Boy Scouts outing, the Bishop's Appeal for Deep Sea Fishermen. But I wanted something where I would not have to answer too many questions, and so I decided on the Vicarage Sale of Work. Yes? Can I help you? How do you do? May I come in for a moment? 
Yes, I suppose so. I mean, uh... Oh, thank you so much. I just called to see whether I could enlist your help for the sale of work next week. Sale of work? At the vicarage next Wednesday. <laughs> I'm afraid I couldn't possibly... Oh, not even a small subscription. Half a crown, perhaps. <sighs> oh, well. Yes, I dare say I can manage that. Now, where did I put my handbag? I see you have no hearthrug in front of the fire. There used to be one. I don't know where it's got to. Here you are. Oh, thank you, my dear. Uh, what name shall I put down? Dinah Lee. Oh, this is Mr. Basil Blake's cottage, is it not? Yes, and I miss Dinah Lee. Will you allow me to give you a little advice? It is most unwise of you to continue to use your maiden name in the village. What on earth do you mean? In a short time, you and your husband may need all the help you can get. It has amused you both, I dare say, to pretend that you were not married. It kept the old fogies away. Nevertheless, old fogies do have their uses. How did you know we were married? Did you check at Somerset House? Somerset House? Oh, no, but it was quite easy to guess. Everything you know gets around in a village. The kind of quarrels you have, typical of the early days of marriage, you can only really get under anybody's skin if you are married to them. When there is no legal bond, people have to keep assuring themselves that they're happy. But what made you say that very soon we'd need all the help we can get? Because any minute now, your husband may be arrested for murder. <sighs> You're not joking. No, indeed. Have you seen the papers? You mean that girl from the Majestic Hotel? Would you believe it? The shop's run out of gin. Who's this? She says you're going to be arrested for the murder of that Ruby Keen girl. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, is this true? But why? You didn't even know her, did you? Oh, yes. He knew her. Just you mind your own business, whoever you are. Look, Dinah, I hardly knew her at all. I ran across her once or twice at the Majestic, that's all. What did you do with the hearthrug? I put it in the dustbin. That was very stupid of you. People don't put good hearthrugs in dustbins. It had spangles from her dress on it, I suppose. Yes, I couldn't get them off. What are you both talking about? Well, ask her. She seems to know all about it. I will tell you what I think happened. You had a violent quarrel with your wife at a party, perhaps because you had too much to drink. You drove down here. I don't know what time you arrived. After two in the morning. The place was all dark. I opened the door, switched on the light. And you saw a girl lying on the hearthrug. A girl in a white evening dress, strangled. Did you recognise her? I couldn't look at her. Her face was all blue and swollen. You were in a fuddled state, and you were, I think, panic-stricken. I thought Dinah might show up at any minute, and she'd find me with a dead girl's body and think I'd killed her. I had to get rid of it. Then I thought, I'll put her in old Bantry's library. He's always looking down his nose and sneering at me. Serve the pompous old idiot right. He'll look a fool when a dead blonde is found on his hearthrug. I must have been pretty drunk. It actually seemed amusing at the time. Yes, yes. Little Tommy Bond had very much the same idea. He said his teacher was always picking on him. He put a frog in the clock and it jumped out at her. By the morning I'd sobered up. I was scared stiff. And then that chief constable came round. The only way I could hide my panic was by being abominably rude. I think the police are here now. Uh, keep your head, Dinah. 
Get on to the family lawyer, old Sims. And don't worry, I didn't do it. I know you didn't. And do you know who did? Oh, yes, I do. But it is not going to be easy to prove. Come in. Mr Basil Blake, I have a warrant here for your arrest on the charge of murdering Ruby Keane on the night of the 21st of September last. I warn you now that anything you say may be used at your trial. Jane, where have you been? I've been trying to get you everywhere. What's happening? Don't worry, Dolly. Ah, Miss Marvel, glad you come. <laughs> My wife's been reading you up like a lunatic. I thought I'd better bring you the news. What news? Basil Blake has been arrested for the murder of Ruby Keane. Basil Blake, eh? Oh, but he didn't do it. He put her in your library, but he didn't kill her. He found her dead in his cottage. Oh, a likely story. And why try to force the murder on poor Arthur? I don't think he saw it like that. It was more of a joke. He was rather under the influence of alcohol at the time. Oh, bottled, was he? Oh, well, can't judge a fellow by what he does when he's had a few. When I was at Cambridge, I climbed up the gate at Trinity and put a chamber pot on the... Oh, good Lord. So sorry, Miss Marple. But if he didn't do it, Jane, do you know who did? I'm going to need your help in this, Dolly. I think that if we went up to Somerset House, we might get a very good idea. Uh, let's get this clear, Sir Henry. What exactly is it that you want me to do? I'm simply informing you, Colonel, that my friend Conway Jefferson is calling in his solicitor in the morning for the purpose of making a new will. And he's proposing to inform his son-in-law and his daughter-in-law of that fact. He's going to tell them this evening. That he's leaving it all to the boys' brigade or, or something of the sort. Uh, to a hostel for young dancers. But you've got the general idea. And you want us to keep an eye on him, is that it? I think it might be advisable. So you're not satisfied with the case against Basil Blake? Let's say that Miss Marple isn't. And I think you'd better take a look at this. Oh, I see. Well, this puts an entirely different complexion on the matter. Mm. How did you dig this up? Women are eternally interested in marriages. <laughs> Especially elderly single women. <laughs> I'll get Slack and some of his men to keep a close watch. There'll be no funny business. That night, there was a full moon shining over a still sea through Conway Jefferson's window. The curtains parted, and for a moment a figure was silhouetted against the moonlight, moving steadily towards the bed. Oh, no, you don't! Right, turn the lights on, Constable, and let's see what we've got here. So it was you, was it? Speaking as your Watson, Miss Marple, I would like to know your methods. You've done it again, by Jove. Run rings around me as usual. Now, I want to hear all about it from the beginning. Yes, tell us how you worked it all out. It couldn't have come as a greater surprise. In this case, certain things were taken for granted from the first. You mean... We should have confined ourselves to the simple facts. Exactly. The facts were that the victim was quite young 
and that she bit her nails, and that her teeth stuck out a little, as those of young girls do, if not corrected in time. Of course, it was all very confusing, the body being found in Colonel Bantry's library. It made the wrong pattern. <laughs> it certainly did, with half the village being convinced that she was his little bit on the side. It wasn't meant to be like that, which confused everybody a good deal. I don't quite follow. The real idea had been to plant the body on poor Basil Blake. A much more likely person. And his action in putting the body in the colonel's library delayed things considerably, and must have been a source of great annoyance to the murderer. Uh, in what way, Miss Marple? Originally, you see, Mr. Blake would have been the first object of suspicion. Because you were meant to find the body on his hearthrug. You would have found out that he knew the dead girl, discovered that he was married to Dinah Lee, and you would probably have concluded that Ruby tried to blackmail him, or something of the sort, and that he strangled her. Just your average commoner garden murder, in fact. But, of course, it all went wrong, with the result that it wasn't long before the spotlight was turned on Ruby Keane's relationship with Mr. Jefferson and his family. And the fact that I was an old friend of the benches must have thoroughly confused the issue. As Sir Henry is well aware, I have a very suspicious mind. A mind like a sink, I believe your nephew says. <laughs> and having that sort of mind, I looked at once at the financial angle. Two people stood to benefit by Ruby Keane's death. Fifty thousand pounds is a lot of money, especially when you're in financial difficulties. As both your son-in-law and daughter-in-law were, Mr. Jefferson. Poor Eddie. If only she told me what a wretched mess Frank had left her in. She would have regarded it as a betrayal of trust. But at the same time, she was growing tired of being completely dependent on you. And she was passionately devoted to her son. And some women have the curious idea that crimes committed for the sake of their offspring are morally justified. Mm, very true. Mr. Mark Gaskell, of course, was a much more likely starter, if I may use the phrase. He was a gambler and had not, I fancied, a very high moral code. But I was of the opinion that a woman was concerned in the case. What gave you that idea? I will come to that in due course, Sir Henry. As it happened, it was very annoying to find out that both Adelaide Jefferson and Mark Gaskell had alibis for the time when, according to the medical evidence, Ruby Keane had met her death. And then we found the burnt-out car with a girl's body in it. And you saw that the alibis might be entirely worthless. I now had the two halves of the case, but they didn't fit. The one person whom I knew to be concerned in the crime had no conceivable motive. If it had not been for Dinah Lee, I should never have thought of it. And there was the answer, waiting for me in Somerset House. It was the most obvious thing in the world. Marriage. Good Lord, of course. If either of the two people who stood to gain was married, then the other party to the marriage was probably also involved. Of course, there was always Mrs. Jefferson's friend, Mr. McLean, to take into account as well. She concealed her feelings for him from me very successfully. But really, in my mind, I knew already. You could not get away from the bitten nails. 
bitten. But I thought she tore her nail and cut the others. Oh, nonsense. Bitten nails and close-cut nails are quite different. Hmm? The fact that they were bitten could only mean one thing. They were not those of a professional dancer. Therefore, the body in Colonel Bantry's library couldn't be Ruby Keen at all. Oh. And that brought me straight to the one person who must be involved in the murder. The person who identified the body. Josie. She was puzzled, completely mystified at finding the body where it was, because she knew none better where it ought to have been found, in Basil Blake's cottage. She'd done her best to direct attention to him by dropping hints about Ruby and a film man and by slipping a photograph of him into Ruby's handbag. Mm. Josie. Josie. Shrewd, practical, hard as nails and all out for money. Uh, I see now what you meant about our taking things for granted, Miss Marple. It never occurred to me to doubt Josie Turner for a moment when she said that the body was that of Ruby Keene. There was no apparent motive. None at all, until Dolly and I went off to Somerset House and discovered that for over a year she had been married to Mark Gaskell. And therefore had a very good reason to prevent Ruby inheriting my money. It's a pretty cold-blooded business, when you come to think of it. I suppose it was Mark Gaskell who pretended to be the film producer who approached the poor little Reeves girl. He took her into the hotel by a side door and introduced her to the studio's makeup expert. Josie again, presumably. It makes me quite sick to think of it. That poor girl sits in Josie's bathroom while she bleaches her hair, makes up her face and varnishes her finger and toenails. That, by the way, Sir Henry is why I was so sure that a woman must have been involved. And then Josie drugged her. And when she was unconscious, Josie clothed her in one of Ruby's old dresses. And after dinner, Mark Gaskell took the poor child to Blake's cottage, strangled her with the belt of the frock, and arranged her body on the hearthrug. That must have been just after ten o'clock, then he drove back to Danemouth at top speed and joined the others in the lounge where Ruby Keane, still very much alive, was doing her exhibition dance with Raymond. Was it Josie who killed her, do you think? I'm certain of it. Immediately after Ruby went up to her room after dancing with Mr Bartlett, Josie finished her off with an injection, perhaps, or a blow on the back of her head. And then... She came down and asked everyone where Ruby could possibly have got to, because it was time for her second exhibition dance. After she had made a great show of standing in for Ruby, she calmly carried on playing bridge with the Jeffersons. In the early hours of the morning, she dressed Ruby in Pamela's clothes, dragged the body down the side stairs to Bartlett's car, drove it down to the quarry, poured petrol over it, and set it alight. Mm, an intricate plot. No more intricate than the steps of a dance. And was the dramatic finale your idea as well, Miss Marple? Well, as a matter of fact, it was. It is so nice to be sure, isn't it? Sure? By exposing me to the mercies of that ruthless woman? 
Your life was never really at risk, Conway. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. You see, once Mark and Josie knew that you were going to make a new will, they had to do something. Mark, of course, had to be absolutely in the clear, so he went off to London. Josie was to take care of your murder. The inspector tells me there was digitalis in the syringe she was carrying. Any doctor would have diagnosed death from heart trouble. So that the third death you spoke of was to be Conway's? Oh, no. I meant Basil Blake. Oh? They intended to get him hanged. I always knew that Rosamond had married a rotter. Tried not to admit it to myself. It was Josie who was the real brains behind it. The irony of it was that it was she who brought Ruby down here in the first place. Never dreaming you would see in her another daughter, Mr. Jefferson. <laughs> Poor little Ruby. But that's all over now. I really am going to make a new will, you know. I shall settle 20,000 on Eddie and leave everything else to her son. And I sincerely hope that you'll marry this McLean fellow. She's spent too much of her life playing cards with an old cripple. I really cannot tell you, Jane, how relieved I am that this whole wretched business has been cleared up. Arthur was just about at the end of his tether. Everyone was giving him the cold shoulder. The Duffs cancelled their invitation to dinner because they said their cook was ill. The Ranisher County Council asked him if he'd mind if someone else took the chair at their next oh, meeting. Ah, Miss and... Marple. Good evening. Good evening. I understand a vote of thanks is due. Now, why don't we all repair to the drawing room for a glass of sherry and drink your health? That is very kind of you, Colonel. But if you really do intend to drink my health... There is only one place where you should do it. Uh -huh. And where is that, Miss Marvel? The library, Colonel. It is time that old ghosts were laid to rest. In Agatha Christie's The Body in the Library, Miss Marple was played by June Whitfield. Colonel Melchett, Richard Todd. Dolly Bantry, Pauline Jameson. Colonel Bantry, Jack Watling. Sir Henry Clithering, Graham Crowden. Conway Jefferson, John Hartley. Inspector Slack, John Baddeley. Adelaide Jefferson, Priyanga Elan. Mark Gaskell, Harry Myers. Josie Turner, Elizabeth Convoy. Basil Blake, Giles Fagan. Dinah Lee, Tilly Gaunt. George Bartlett, Ben Crow. Florence Small, Eleanor Hodson. The Body in the Library was dramatised for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams.